We've been in a series in the Old Testament book of First Samuel, and today we're going to be walking through First Samuel chapter 23. We'll be going through verse by verse, so if you have your Bibles, you can open up there and follow along. We have been, because we've been moving through such large portions of Scripture, we can't read them all on a Sunday morning, and so we will work through it in the text, but we have been sending them out what we're going to preach on in the weekly email. So if someone wanted to read in advance and get a gold star, they could do that. And so uh, know that that's available to you. First Samuel chapter 23, these are the stories of David, and David is in the wilderness. Uh, there's no question that there are many things that you can learn in a classroom. But there, it's also true that there's some things that you can't learn in a classroom. There are some things that can only be learned in the trenches of life. There are some things that can only be learned in the wilderness. And David finds himself in God's wilderness school of life. And he's preparing David to be the king of Israel. Uh, On the one hand, David is in the wilderness, so it's a place of suffering, it's a place of loneliness. But it's through suffering, loneliness, pain, and the unique cross that he has to uh, bear that he will reach glory, that a certain type of character is going to be forged in him. And along the way, uh, he is given all of these reminders that God is with him. We see throughout God providing for David in the wilderness. God goes to these great lengths to encourage his servant in this season of formation, in this season of suffering. And in our seasons of formation, our wilderness moments in life, I want us to be encouraged and to have the eyes of faith to see the ways that God might be trying to reach out, provide, and encourage us. We may think that we are unreachable, alone, without hope, or maybe just without help. And in these sections of scripture, he's honest about how life can feel. It can feel like a wilderness. It can feel like a desert. But he's also honest with us about how much he loves us. And here he shows us the great lengths that he goes to communicate that love to us. So that's where we're going to be. I'm going to take a moment and pray for us. And then we'll jump in. You ready? Dornish, you ready? Amen. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these wilderness narratives. And I know there's folks out there who feel like they're in the midst of it. Amidst of the desert of divorce papers. The wilderness of a painful diagnosis. The wilderness of loneliness or debt joblessness, addiction. And Lord, you send us to these places and promise that 
in the fires of suffering and hardship and trial that we can be formed and remade. And along the way, we need to, we'll trust you in that, but we need to know that you're with us. And in this text, you give us evidence of that. So would we, would you open our eyes and give us the eyes of faith to be able to see all of the ways that you are providing for us in our unique wilderness moment? We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So the first thing that I want you to see, there's three gifts that God provides David in this season of the wilderness. And the first thing I want you to see is the great lengths that he goes to give David access to himself. The great lengths that God goes to give David access to himself. You ready? Let's go. Verses 1 and 2. Now they told David... Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Calah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Calah. Now, we're just like dropped into the action right here. Let's take a moment and remember where we've come from. David is on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. But David is no longer alone. He is surrounded by 400 or so misfits who have gathered around him to help him and support him. Jesus has given him a new little community in the wilderness. And they're hiding together in the caves of Israel. Hiding from Saul, the mad king who's trying to kill them all. And Saul is a madman. In the last text, the last thing that he did was he slaughtered men, women, and children who had, in a city where a priest had tried to give harbor to David, if you remember that. And so the threat is real. But word comes to David as he's hiding that there is another Israelite town at risk. Not from Saul, but from the Philistines. And David's heart is moved by this. But before making any rash actions, he does something. He does something that we haven't seen him do for a long time. He inquires of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, this is noteworthy. This is a shift for our man, David. Because if you remember last chapter, David got a little head of God, running for his life. The man of faith who goes to church but forgets to pray when he's there. He never inquires of the Lord. David, in the midst of the pressures and the crisis of the wilderness, kind of takes matters into his own hands. Have you ever forgot to pray and you just took matters into your own hands? That's what he does, and he makes a mess of things. But David is learning. Here, he inquires of the Lord. And we're going to see that he does that multiple times. We read it about it again in verse 3. 
But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Calah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise and go to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Calah. So here again, we see David, he's inquiring of the Lord, this time on behalf of his men. They are afraid and it's hard to blame them. These are not hardened warriors. These are misfit toys. These are refugees. They, they don't know how to battle the Philistines. And so, uh, for David to come and say, hey, let's go save Kayla. They're a little freaked out. Not only that, but they're hiding from Saul. To go out and rescue this Israelite city would expose them. Saul would know their whereabouts. And so they're putting, it's a double whammy of threat here. And so they go to David and say, you better be sure that the Lord said, you're going to give this city into our hands. And so where does David go for perspective and wisdom? He inquires of the Lord again and returns again with an answer. He didn't misinterpret God's word. God is going to give the Philistines into their hands. And so in verse 5, David and his men go down to Calah and defeat the enemies and save the people. Hurrah, hurrah. Verse 6. Then Abiathar, the son of Halimelech, had fled to David to Calah, and he had come down with an ephod in his hands. So here we get this editorial comment. That begins to clue us in to the meaning of this little narrative. This is giving us insight into how David was inquiring of the Lord and getting such specific answers. Back in Nob, the city that Saul slaughtered, 85 priests were slaughtered, but there was one that escaped. And that priest made his way to David And is now a part of David's team. And he escaped with the ephod. (laughs) And the ephod is a type of plate. And it could be held separately or it could be a part of a garment. And it had stones in it. And nobody quite understands exactly how it worked. But you could ask this thing yes or no questions. And somehow the priest would be able to determine whether the God was saying yes or no. Now, anybody could pray to God, but not everybody could use the special ephod. Only the king had access to the ephod through God's priest. And so now David is brought the ephod. He's not the king yet, but he's given access to God that is the king's special privilege. He gets this access early, and he gets it in the wilderness. Verse 7 through 14. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Calah, 
And Saul said, God has given him into our hands, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gate and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go to Kela to besiege David and his men. Uh-oh. So they saved Kela, and what David's men feared might have happened happened. They were exposed. Saul now knows where they are, and he's going to go and try to get them. And notice what he says. He says, God will surely give them, meaning David and his men, into my hands. So David is in trouble. What does he do? He inquires of the Lord twice more. Bible's trying to tell us something here. Verse 9. David knew that Saul was plotting hard against him. And so he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kela to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kela surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And David said, will the men of Kela surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kela, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kela, he gave up his expedition. And David remained in the strongholds of the wilderness in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God did not give him into his hands. And so David hears that Saul is coming and he invites Beathar, the priest, to come. He wants to inquire again of the Lord. And again, you note how many times it's saying that David inquired of the Lord, something that was missing in those previous passages when David made such a mess of things. And he asks, is Saul coming? To which he gets the reply, yes. And then he asks, are the people of Kela going to give me into his hands and betray me? And the answer is yes. Now, why would the, the people of Kela betray David and give him up to Saul? Is it because they thought Saul was awesome? They thought he was a great king? It must have been for fear of Saul. I mean, he had just taken out a city in Israel. And so this is a nation racked in fear. They're more afraid of Saul than they were of the Philistines. Fear can make you do crazy things. And so these people are going to betray David. They don't want to be slaughtered. And so David and his people, uh, based on this information they get from the Lord, they leave. And they hide here and there. They go into the wilderness. And Saul makes it his obsession to find David. It says every day he's seeking after David. But it also says, but God did not deliver David into his hands. And look at that language. It's basically identical to what Saul had said. Saul had said, God has delivered David into my hands. That's what Saul thinks. And the text is correcting that. God did not give David into Saul's hands. There's a reminder that God is in in this. He is protecting David every step of the way. Not least of all, through this special access 
that he has given David through Abiathar the priest. Now, if you have checked out, check back in to the sermon. Because God had tried to give David the ephod earlier. It's important to remember. Remember when David was trying to get Goliath's sword? He went to the temple not to get prayer, but to get a sword. A sword that kind of represents his own strength. Doing things in his own strength. And where was the sword? It was hidden behind the ephod which represents God's strength and wisdom. So he had to push aside the ephod to get to the sword. And how, how did it all end up for him? He made a real mess of things. But listen, God didn't let David's foolish choice de- define his life. When David forgot the ephod, God went to great lengths to bring the ephod to him. To remind David that you are the anointed king. You have special access to me. And your foolishness and your sin, it doesn't even interrupt it. I'm pursuing you in the midst of your foolishness. Come to me. You don't have to do this on your own. Inquire of me. Come to me boldly. So Abiathar basically represents God's heart, God's access to David. David had special access to God through Abiathar to priests, and God went through great lengths to remind David of this. And it's hard for us not to think about this, the great lengths that God goes to give someone special access to him through their priest. It's hard for us not to think about our high priest, Jesus, who gives us special access to the Father. Our priest who comes to us, enters into life, takes on flesh, is the king. And is also the priest who dies and rises to heaven and says, I'm always by the side of the Father and through me you always have access to him. So Hebrews chapter 4 says, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And then it says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Are you always pushing aside the ephod to get to the sword? And the Lord comes to you this morning, and you've made a mess of things, and he says, even in your foolishness, I'm just trying to remind you of the special access that you have to me. Will we not take him up on it? He goes to great lengths to give David divine access. He also goes to great lengths to bring David divine encouragement. Can you all say encouragement? Encouragement. 
Now, before we go on, let's try to remember how David must have been feeling at this point. David has trusted God for the first time in a long time. And yes, they defeated the Philistines, but also Saul knows where he is now. And his life is more in danger than it was before. Not only that, but his own people have betrayed him. This would have been a difficult moment for David, which is why what happens next is so remarkable. Verse 16. Who shows up? And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So in this moment, which would have been so discouraging for David, who shows up? None other than his best friend, Jonathan. And think about what would have been involved for Jonathan to show up. David was hiding in the wilderness, Saul has been looking for David for months and hasn't been able to find him. Jonathan couldn't just call him up or send a text or use like, find my friend, find my David or something and go out and search for him in the wilderness. He had to put a pack on his back and enter into the wilderness himself. Searching through caves, seeking for David until he finds him. And what did he bring Why did he go on such a dangerous journey? Did he come with resources, with swords, with reinforcements? He just came with words of encouragement. The encouragement of God. He comes, it says, to strengthen his hand in God. And then he goes home. This challenges me in two ways. First, Jonathan goes out of his way quite literally to just verbally encourage David. And how often do we leave words of encouragement unspoken? What, how critical encouragement can be to a discouraged people, to a discouraged person. Apparently, it can be the difference between life and death. It can be more important than reinforcements or food or rations And what we're going to see is that this story is sandwiched between two different stories of betrayal. He was betrayed once before, and we're going to see he's betrayed by people again. And we're kind of given the sense that if he wasn't encouraged in this moment, would the next betrayal be too much for him? How necessary it is to have faithful people speaking God's word to us amidst the infidelities of life. And that's the second challenge. It's a beautiful description of what encouragement involves. Jonathan doesn't simply say, things aren't so bad. He doesn't say, maybe next month it'll be better. He doesn't say, others have it tougher than you. He says, 
God has promised certain things for your life and they will come true. He puts David's life in God's hands. Everybody in the text has been saying, I have David in my hands. Saul has said that. The Ziphites have said that. And he's saying, your hands are in the hands of God alone. Jonathan comes and strengthens David's hand and heart in God in his promises. And that is what I need when I am discouraged. I need God's word. I need God's promise. I need people to remind me of eternal things. In the midst of divorce papers, I need to be reminded of the God who is Father, the Father of mercy and the God of all comforts. In the midst of the shadow of death, I need to be reminded of the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. What is the promise from God that your discouraged heart needs? People are so discouraged right now. Just like discouragement, like shrapnel in our hearts and lives. Because of the, the hurt and suffering in our world. Think about a promise from God that you could bring to someone else in their need. What might you risk to bring someone a word from God? Consider what God risked to bring a word to David, the life of his dear servant, Jonathan. And then think about the greater Jonathan, the one who comes to us in our wilderness, who is the word of God himself, the word of life, who comes to us and says, you are not alone. God loves you. He is with you. I'm going to die for you to show you just how much God cares for you. Christ himself is our Jonathan that draws near to us. And the old timers knew this. I read this this week. Andrew the uh, Bonner in his diary in, at, for May 26, 1860. He was a parish priest. And he talks about spending a retreat uh, in the wilderness, the place that he affectionately called the Forest of Ziph, which is where David is. And he writes, this is where God has strengthened my hand, my divine Jonathan always meeting me there. At the end of Jonathan Edwards' life, he said this on his deathbed, now where is Jesus of Nazareth? My divine Jonathan, my true and never failing friend. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 4. At my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. But the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. He has sent us a true friend to strengthen our hearts in the wilderness. Lastly, let's see the great lengths to which God goes to give us deliverance. Um, I'm going to summarize verse 19 through 14. Another group of Israelites, likely again motivated by the fear of the wrath of Saul, give up 
the whereabouts of David and his crew. And it sends them running again. Verse 25. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Moan. So David remains in the wilderness, but goes down to an area affectionately called the rock. And Saul is now in full pursuit. And it looks like the rock is going to become David's grave, because here comes Saul. And what you need to to know to read this next portion of scripture right is that this is like a, this is like a James Bond chase scene. This is a real nail biter. We need to feel the tension rise and become nearly unbearable and uh, see how Saul is tightening the noose. I'm going to try to do it here. Are you ready? Buckle up. Saul, so there's a big mountain. David's on one side, armies of Saul on the other. Verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, car chase. And Saul and his men were closing in on David. And his men were about to capture him. (gasps) Now we close our eyes at this moment. We refuse to watch the capture, humiliation, and likely death of David and his men. But wait, verse 27. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come For the Philistines have made a raid against the land. (gasps) Saved at the last second by a Philistine raid. And of course, you can read this with blind, unbelieving eyes, thinking that David just got lucky. Or you can read it with the clear vision of faith, exulting in the endless variety of ways that God saves his servants, laughing at the humor of it all, marveling at God's timing, rejoicing that even the Philistines, God's enemy, can be pressed into the Lord's service. And they end up calling this place the rock of deliverance. Indeed, a suitable name for an unforgivable place This was the place where they were trapped. No way out. And God made a way. It is the moment that occurs in all great stories when unexpected light breaks into darkness. Where something so unexpected and preposterous and glad and gracious and good happens that it's hilarious. Tolkien had a word for these things in his stories. And the word was eucatastrophe. It was a word that meant the opposite of catastrophe. He would say it was the sudden joyous turn. That moment when everything seems lost. Evil finally seems to have overcome. The hero can go no further. And then light prevails in the darkness. The Philistines come and get Saul to run the other direction. The good guys win. Hilarity ensues. And the Bible is filled with those kinds of moments. Filled with that kind of laughter. The laughter of God coming through in the nick of time. In unexpected ways. Saving undeserving people. 
And it's interesting that they name the place. Verse 28, so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, the place was called the Rock of Escape. They named it so they could be reminded, reminded of the ways of the time when God showed up like he did, giving them hope for the future, raising their expectations of what he might do in the future. And it's interesting to me how often David returns to this image of the rock. If you think about his prayers and his poetry. But he doesn't say, the, when he thinks about the rock, he doesn't think about a mountain in Israel. He thinks about God. And so at the end of his life, in Second Samuel, he has this prayer. And I just want to read a couple portions of it to you. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God whose arm gives me strength and keeps my way secure. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, my rock, my Savior. In this story, David is protected by the rock that comes between him and Saul. And at the end of his life, David says, who is my rock except God? The mountain rock is a picture of God the rock who stands in between us and our enemies. In between us and sin. In between us and death. God is our refuge in times of trouble. And so there are micro salvations and there is macro salvations. And the little micro salvations in our life are to remind us of what's going to happen in the big macro salvation in our life. Each of us have had individual stories of how God has shown up. We call them God things, God moments. It could have only been him pulling all of the pieces together and we're to remember them and name them. And consider them. And they are to raise our expectations of what God might do in the future. And if you don't feel like you have a rock yourself, know that you have something better. We have a cross. Because when it seemed like all hope was lost, Jesus, who was supposed to be the Savior, is hanging on the cross. And it seems like sin and death had won the day. And yet the thing that was supposed to break Jesus, sin and death, is the thing that God uses to break sin and death themselves. And all hilarity ensues. Because a man rose from the dead. And someday you will rise too if you believe in him. What do we learn from this? God goes to great lengths to encourage us, to give us access to him, to bring divine encouragement to our lives. He goes to great lengths to deliver us and give us hope in the darkest moments. Will you believe? Will you see? Will you take hold? Will you be encouraged? I pray that we will.
Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we continue to journey with David through the wilderness. And I thank you for all of the ways um, that you brought life and strength and hope to David. Because those stories weren't written for David. They were written for us. They were written to point us and direct us to you, Lord God. To the hope that we have in you to the access we have to you, to the encouragement we have in you, to the great deliverance that is ours in you. And it's there to give us hope. It's there to shape our imaginations that in our own wilderness moments, you go to great lengths to reach us. I pray that we would have eyes to see it, the eyes of faith to see the ways that you're reaching out to us even now to say, I am there I am with you. I care. And so, um, would we, uh, by faith, reach out and grab what's there freely for us to have? I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.